This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump, and now he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle with you. Uh, <clears throat> the news said all eyes are on the Oscars, but that's not true. The smart eyes are on the banking system. Uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, which is the major organ for high-tech companies, all their payroll money is there, all of their assets are there. And it just went broke last week for lousy, for making lousy investments. And we've been through all this before, but this time there's a big wrinkle, a big change. In the past, whenever a big bank has faced failure, the Fed runs around screaming, trying to get a, a, a suitor, uh, a, a lover to buy out the bank <laughs> and take it over. But uh, they may not be able to find one for this thing. If they don't, the bank is going to go broke. And if the bank goes broke, we assume that naturally, the way they have all the other times except for Lehman Brothers, the federal government will step in and bail the bank out. But a couple of weeks ago on the show, I warned you that there was a new game in town. Instead of bailouts, they're going to have bail-ins. Oh, yeah, right. And a bail-in means that the depositors, the ordinary people who had checking accounts in the bank, are automatically converted to shareholders, and they are required to chip in from their deposits, from their bank accounts, to save the bank before the federal government gets involved. And Janet Yellen just announced that if they cannot find a savior for Silicon Valley Bank, that the government is not going to step in and bail it out, but it will look to the depositors to bail it in, to bail in. Now, at the moment, this couldn't happen to nicer guys. It's all of the uh, high-tech community and Yahoo and Google and all of those companies that have their payrolls there ah. and have their checking accounts at the bank and all of the silicone executives. But... Uh, the precedent is absolutely dangerous and staggering. What it means is that if this thing spreads and bank failures have a way of spreading like 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 uh, yellow fever or the COVID, yeah. COVID. update my metaphor here, yeah. and uh, they have a way of getting into everything and affecting every bank. In 2007 and eight, they did that. Uh, and uh, in 20. 14 and 15, they did some of that. And the problem is that if you're, if you have a bank, if you're in a bank, you, we all are. I have my account with uh, Chase. If you have your account with a bank, uh, and that bank fails, you can be held liable for the failure of the bank. And if your deposit, if you have a deposit on deposit with the bank, you'll have to take a haircut which means like an 8 or a 10% cut out of your deposits of money that's your money that's going to suddenly have to go to the defense of the bank. May I ask you a question? Yeah. Even without our knowledge or without us uh, going uh, knowing about this, they could do this? Absolutely. They did it in Cyprus, and they've announced that they're going to do it in the U.S. Uh, and... The, and, Isn't and, there some type of approval this is, on, on my part? To, nope, none at all. Really? Not even for Doug DePiro, oh, who is oh, that's the guy, the that's guy who just right now. chimed in now. Yeah, it's nice to introduce me yeah. at the my, middle of the show. My artist and yeah. my... my <laughs> I tell um, him, introduce me from the beginning. Lyricist, my humorist. My so seriously, sidekick. really, they can you do have this no without... Choice. Wow. No choice. And your federal deposit insurance policy, which insures your account 
up to 250000 will not kick in. Uh, if your whole account is endangered and you could be lose all your money, it will kick in and save you. But it will not prevent the haircut. The haircut supersedes FDIC wow. insurance. So There's not, this, not even a percentage that they kick in, 50%, 20%. No, there's a haircut. They declare it usually about 10%. A haircut. And uh, they call it a haircut. I wouldn't know about that. And uh, actually, it's not a haircut. It's a scalping. <laughs> that I know about. And it's actually not even that. It's a decapitation. Wow. And the, the cut will be a little lower around your neck. And uh, this is the test case. Uh, if Silicon Valley finds a suitor that is willing to buy it, okay, that's cool. But if they don't, uh, then all of the depositors, all the people who normally hold deposits there, are going to have to chip in and uh, and make good the debts of the bank. Absolutely terrifying. Wow. This could paralyze the financial system in the U.S. and throughout the world. In other words, less people are going to put their money in banks. Yeah, for that reason. Absolutely. And uh, and and there buy all, motorcycles. And there are all reasons not to put your money in banks anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, the they have this haircut looming as a possibility, and the banks want to switch to digital currency, oh, yeah, right. which I explained last week. Mm -hmm. It's take it, you can't use cash in your wallet; you can simply use a government issued debit well, well, card. You can't use cash, or you can, but you're not supposed. Right. You don't yeah, want yeah. you to. Right. And you're supposed to, and you use a debit card issued by the government, where they keep track of everything you've spent and. They can turn it off and stop you from using it for certain purchases. So um, this is a, uh, a tremendous assault and very, very dangerous. Now, wow. in the normal news, my God, what we define as normal. Yeah, right. Alvin Bragg, the district attorney of Manhattan, who uh, is the worst district attorney in history, not just in New York but in many places, who has decided – that he is not going to pursue indictments for violent crimes. No, I wouldn't want to do that. He's not going to pursue felony indictments. No. Has finally found a victim. Oh, of course. Donald Trump. Oh, God. And he is suing. He's going to, he's going to indict Trump, he says, or may well, looks like he is, uh, for defrauding Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Stormy Hold Daniels. Hold damn near a prostitute who's a porn actress who takes off her clothes for a living. And she said that she had an affair with Trump. Trump denies it. And uh, Trump had her paid, I think, $100,000 or more to shut her up. And the way he does that, he's done this before, is he has a publication by her story and then not run it uh, so that they're shut up. Really? Yeah, National Enquirer has done that for him a couple of times. Brilliant, isn't it? A guy named David Pecker who's in oh, charge God. of it. And... Um, but in this case, uh, Michael Cohn, the, the rat who turned on Trump, right, that's right. is, uh, is the source because he's the guy that gave Stormy the payoff. And, uh, the charge is that Trump violated campaign finance laws and fraud laws by making these payments. So the road ahead is clearly going to be Stormy. Oh, Stormy. Dick, she had to become a porn star when her parents named her Stormy. <laughs> no, her name is Stephanie Clifford. <laughs> um, but um, I believe that uh, that Bragg will indict Trump. Oh God! Because the grand jury is from Manhattan, and it's all Democrats. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think it was um, Judge Land who said you could indict a ham sandwich. Right. Uh, if you're a district attorney, because you can manipulate the, the grand jury. And particularly if it's a Democratic grand jury and you're indicting Donald Trump, you could do that in a heartbeat. And I believe that if Trump is indicted, it will have no effect on his candidacy. No. Zero. Nilch. Zip. None. I think that if he were indicted over some more serious charge about the White House uh, papers and about the archives and any of the other stuff, 
people might think about it. They might say, well, is this really serious enough and is this really important enough? And um, if they decided it wasn't, they wouldn't pay any attention to the indictment. But with Stormy Daniels, I think everybody is going to break out and just say, are you freaking kidding me? You are going to be intervened to knock off and besmirch a former president of the country and the front-running candidate for the Republican nomination for re-election because he was unfair and nasty to a porn star? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God, because they got nothing. That's and the, why. And it's all based on the blackmail by Stormy Daniels, uh, where she's uh, basically she and Bragg have a great deal in common. They're both in search of a payday. Yeah. Uh-huh. Daniels for money, Bragg for political credit. And um, the idea that we are going to sidetrack a Donald Trump because of this is absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's going to backfire big time. I think people are going to see that this is so indicative of their willingness to do anything, stoop to any levels to go after Trump. Yeah, but it'll backfire with us. Not with the useful idiots. No, and, I think it'll backfire with everybody. Really? Because because it's so obvious. I mean, it's a porn star, for God's sake. They don't care about obvious the left. No, no. The yeah. the average voter, I don't mean the what died in the world Democrats, they'll cheer like hell. But I mean the oh. the independents, the right. the twenty percent we can get. Right. We got forty percent we have, forty percent we can't get so a little bit of, in the middle. It might help a little bit even. And without twenty I think it'll really Backfire, and I think it'll help. Good. Because there are so many charges against Trump. If this is what they're going to indict him right. for, not like corporate before, taxes, not his personal taxes, not uh, his conduct of, uh, of his company, right. <clears throat> not the, uh, the archives, the records, none of which should be indictable, but they may be, it just absolutely shows the bankruptcy of their approach. So uh, I think Trump will come out from it fine. Uh, but that's all anybody's going to talk about. You know, I was reminded of the Lewinsky period when the Democrats this time, uh, when, when the Republicans this time, that time, tried to convince people that, that Clinton's lying about his affair with Monica Lewinsky was criminal perjury and worth impeaching him for. And the Democrats came back and said, come on, it's just a married man who had an affair who's embarrassed about who it he's married with to. his wife and, and the country. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Republicans kept insisting, no, this is a serious matter. This is a criminal offense, right. and we ought to proceed with indictment, which with an incumbent president means impeachment. And uh, <clears throat> the country absolutely wouldn't buy it. In the by-elections of 98, the Republicans actually – lost seats, the Democrats gained seats, even though their president had been impeached. Did you have a lot to do with that campaign? Well, I was, yeah, uh, Clinton told me that he had, that that he had been compromised with uh, Monica Lewinsky. I was the only one he told. And uh, he said something that I did not understand at the time. And you forgive me if I don't get it. He said, I might... When I got here to the White House, I had to shut my body down, (laughs) sexually, I mean. But I went too far with this girl, and I may have gone so far that I can't prove my innocence. What the hell does that mean? Then after a while, I realized, oh, my God, he's talking about sperm on the on his pants. And that's what he's talking about. Oh, you have to bring that up. Unbelievable. But I think that the the whole – uh, idea that this is worthy of this public attention, mm-hmm. that this is that this is a crime that's serious enough for an indictment or an impeachment, was was wrong when the Democrats when the Republicans did it to the Democrats, and it's wrong now when the Democrats are doing it to the Republicans. So when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about Ron DeSantis changing the libel law in Florida. So anyone that criticizes him is subject to a fine really? for libel, really? uh, even if they didn't. Executive order? No, legislation, a new law. We'll talk about it when we come back. Wow. 
He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Ron DeSantis has voted for the most draconian cuts in Social Security and Medicare, and he's trying to cover it up, but the record is very clear. And I researched the record and want to talk to you about what he supported. In 2010, when Paul Ryan was about to become Speaker of the House, because in the 2020 elections dominated by the Tea Party, the Republicans took back the House and threw Pelosi out as Speaker. And um, at that time, Ryan formulated a budget plan that he said would solve all of our problems, get out of our deficit and everything. And he said he was going to save Social Security and Medicare by cutting it. And he said that his program would put it on a sound financial basis and, uh, and that we should all be very supportive of it. And uh, it was absolute, absolutely wrong, but it's what he said. And DeSantis voted for his budget proposal twice, uh, once in 13 and once in 15. Now, there were non-binding resolutions approving of it, expressing the sense of the House that they agreed with him. But he supported it, and he endorsed it. And if he's president, presumably that's what he would do. Now, the cutting of Social Security is very complicated, and I want to walk you through it. The first thing he did was that he wants to raise the retirement age from its current level of 67 up to 70. So you're thinking that, well, that, you know, that's not going to hurt people now who are getting Social Security. Uh, it might hurt people in the future who have to wait three more years to collect it. But because when you pay people later and they might die earlier, <laughs> the actual cost to Social Security is a 7% benefit cut to everybody. Wow. And the Social Security actuary explained that and documented it. So he's proposing at 7% per year that they're extending, that they're postponing the retirement age. And uh, so over three years, it would be a 21% cut. Interesting. The second thing that he proposed is right now the cost of living, the COLA adjustment, cost of living adjustment, COLA, mm -hmm. is based on the wages paid to the labor force. He wants to change it to the prices paid by the consumer. And the prices paid by the consumer would be a smaller adjustment than the wages paid to workers. You lost me a little bit, but come on. Wages are going up faster than prices are in right. general. Mm -hmm. Not this year, not this moment, but in general they are. And therefore, if you raise Social Security benefits based on how much wages went up, you're going to have a bigger increase than based on how much prices went Got up. Got it. Got it. Otherwise, everybody would be losing ground every year because prices would go up higher than wages. Now, at this moment, that's true, but that's because of Biden. But historically, it's not true. So he wanted to switch from a wage index to a price index, which would have cut COLA payments this year by 12%. Like Diet Cola. Yeah, <laughs> Diet Cola, right. We've cut them by 12%. Um, and when you combine that with a 7% cut because he's raising the retirement age, he proposed damn near a 20% cut in Social Security. Wow. And the third thing he proposed is that when you pay your Social Security taxes, you should be able to take a portion of your payment and put it in a special fund controlled by you where you would decide how to invest the money. 
You could put it in the stock market. You could take it to Vegas and bet it on red. <laughs> I don't think you can, but maybe you could. 22? As opposed to right now when the uh, Social Security Fund is invested in Treasury bills, which are very safe but have a very low yield. So DeSantis said, hey, let's let people invest a third of their tax money in funds that would have a higher yield, which is cool. But they're not protecting But what it. happens right. if, you don't, if you screw up? Right. The what happens if the stocks you're investing in are the ones in the market now? Right. And he said, oh, we'll protect you. But he didn't mean we'll pay you the full benefit you would have had. He said, we will pay you back the funds you put into the system. And we all put money into the system every day. But the fact is that our contributions are only 70% of the money we get out. Right. 30% of it is a subsidy from the government. Got it. And that 30% would not be paid to people who invest in risky ventures on their own mm-hmm. and who for, and where it doesn't work. So you combine those three and you have big cuts in Social Security. And by the by taking the money people are investing, and if they invest it badly, not making them whole. That's a b- risk now. Yeah, you're basically taking away the concept of Social Security as a guaranteed fund that you can rely upon when you get older. So DeSantis really is, uh, is taking a piece of each of our lives. <laughs> I actually made, I was able to understand that. It took a while, but I got it. <laughs> It'll make DeSantis feel good. Uh, the, um, now let's go back to the Silicon Bank. Uh, let's go to uh, Tom in Brooklyn, who a uh, uh, Bronx, I think, who has the right idea. Bronx. Hey, Tom. Yeah, I, I got a question for you. Do you think it would be a good idea if the government would have the ability when we're in such a situation where a bank goes bankrupt and people are starting to run to their other banks to withdraw their money, and that a lot of times causes other banks to go bankrupt because they get overwhelmed with all the people coming to the banks. Would you be, you would, do you think it would be a good idea if the government could put a hold on the banks so that no one could withdraw their money as long as the panic doesn't pass? And once yeah. the panic passes... Well, that's, that's exactly what Franklin Roosevelt did in 1933 when he took office in the middle of the Great Depression. Good question. And banks so were failing. All, what? They're able to do that? Well, yeah. Uh, Roosevelt had a special law passed allowing him to do it. <clears throat> but Congress would pass a law like that in a minute if the world depended on it. But the um, it's very drastic. It means that nobody in 1933, in the first week of March, Roosevelt was sworn in in early March back then, could take their money out. And for a week, nobody in the country had any money. They all paid in script or IOUs or whatever. And only gradually did FDR reopen the banks. Uh, And he said that what he was doing was examining each bank to see if it was solvent, and if it was, he would reopen them. In fact, what he was doing was printing a giant mass of money and dropping it off at every bank's doorstep so that they could reopen with vast cash reserves. Inflation. None, well, inflation eventually, yeah. but no, there was such a depression, you wouldn't have inflation. Oh, 33, is it? right. But, it, but it, the it. idea is that it, that basically he, he paid the banks off with massive money, uh, so that when the banks reopened after a week or two weeks, everybody got their money out, and in fact there was an increase in deposit. Very bright of you, Tom, to suggest that, because that's good. exactly what happened. The problem is that if that happens, we're talking about an unbelievable catastrophe to shut down every bank in the country and to make people operate based on what they have under the mattress, especially big companies that can't meet their payrolls. It's like instantly making everybody unemployed. And you could do that in 1933, but you can't do that uh, now. It's just too vast and too enormous. Well, the population and the amount of banks. The amount of money, yeah. So um, let's go to uh, who's that Eddie in uh, Chicago. Hey, Eddie. Oh, okay. Hi, Eddie. 
Eddie. Eddie, are you there from Chicago? Okay. Yes. How are you doing? Uh, yes. So my question is, what happens to people like me who put money in safety deposit boxes? Well, boxes, you'd be okay. If you put it in checking accounts, you're screwed. Or motorcycles, you're good. <laughs> no, if you put it in checking accounts, you're going you're gonna to get, get a haircut, uh, which means they're going to swipe 10% of your money, and they'll tell you they are investing it in your bank, and you are now an honorary shareholder in that bank. And they don't call it a bailout. They call it a bail-in because they're making you put money into the bank. And basically, you're paying for the banker's mistakes. You didn't control them. You didn't govern them. You didn't tell them what to do. You don't sit on the board of directors. They made these mistakes all on their own. You make it sound when you say But a, you have to pay for it. When you say a bail-in, you're throwing water in the boat to make yeah. it sink even more. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, yes. Yeah. But, the, um, but the, the deal is that basically the depositor, who has no power, no role, no information – no capacity to get information, no decision-making authority, has to pay for the sins and the failures of the bankers. And the only reason that that's justified, they say, is the alternative is the taxpayer doing it, who has even less of a role in connection with the bank. So this is the joy we're going to be dealing with. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about DeSantis, who's now entering a presidential race but doesn't want to be criticized. So he's passing a law saying that if you criticize him, he can sue you for libel. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. When you run for president, there's some chance that you might be criticized occasionally. (laughs) There's some chance that people might say bad things about you. No, never happened. And there's some chance that some of the bad things they say about you may not be completely true. Or if they're true, they're true and not true in the eye of the beholder. So if I go out there and I say, Joe Biden has caused inflation, the fact checkers in the mainstream media will say, oh, no, 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 no. It was global forces and he had nothing to do with it. Oh, yeah. And if I say that uh, under Joe Biden... Illegal immigration has surged. Oh no! They'll say, "Oh no, no, no! no it was Trump's they were. It, it was Trump's fault. George and, Bush's and he, fault. No, and he uh, he postponed people coming in, and there was a flood when he stepped out. Mm. And we might say that uh, that China was responsible for the COVID virus. And they'll say, "Oh no, no! It was proven that this was a bat flying by that happened to bite somebody in the lab and." cause this thing to spread. Of course. And those would all be ruled as false. So when a politician is running for office right now, you can't sue him for libel in the United States, even if what he says isn't true. Because you not only have to prove that it's not true, but you have to prove that he knew it was not true and had a reckless disregard for the truth and was motivated by actual malice. Now, if you say something nasty about me, well, me, it's different, but you say something nasty about about a friend of yours who's not publicly known, that's a lower standard for libel. If you say say he's terrible and he stole money, even if it's not true, if it's true, you, you can do it, but if it's not true, he can sue you for libel because he's a private citizen. But if he's a public figure, he can't sue you for libel unless you can also prove that not only was it not true, but he knew it was not true, he had a reckless disregard for the truth, and he attacked you because of actual malice. A lot more difficult to And that standard is so high that basically no politician in the U.S. ever is sued for libel. In Britain, it's not so. In Britain, there is no higher standard. 
and politicians get sued all of the time, and elections are really fought out in court over libel suits. Wow. Uh, because the, in fact, it's gotten to the point where if they don't sue, they assume it's true. So you're ah. almost obliged to sue. Oh my God. And, um, Ron DeSantis, and, um, well, we can't say DeSantis yet, the Republicans in the Florida legislature, which is really Allegedly. DeSantis, which is really DeSantis, uh-huh. have introduced a bill repealing that higher standard of protection for public officials in Florida. So if you say something about Ron DeSantis that the media is going to say is not true, he can sue you for libel. He can collect massive money from you, which has a chilling effect. You're not going to write something. And true, not true, politics is a matter of opinion. How are you going to say is it true or not true that Ron DeSantis discouraged people um, from teaching about sex education in school? Mm -hmm. True or not true that Ron DeSantis... Uh, tried to make gay people feel out of place and unaccepted and increase their pain. True, not true. Right. And But you can be sued, and DeSantis can collect money from you. And before the publisher will let you publish it, he'll make sure you can't because he's worried about the lawsuit. Right. Mm. Now, at the moment, DeSantis doesn't have to worry about that because while, he prob- while I probably can prove that what – well, he probably can prove that what I said was not true, maybe. He can't prove that I did it recklessly, right. disregarded the mm. truth, and that I had malice. For example, there's a lawsuit now going on by Dominion, the voting machine company, that many people hold responsible for the fraud that many people say was in the 2020 election. Alleged no, well. Yeah, right. and, I'm trying to cover and the. And uh, they're suing Fox News and Newsmax for having covered that. And the issue is not so much is it true or not, but did Fox News think it was true? And that's why all these affidavits, these emails are coming out where Tucker Carlson said, I hate Donald Trump. I can't stand him. I want to get rid of him. But I suppose we can't now uh, because he uh, and, and what he was doing was in their private conversations, they were saying that the election was not rigged, that it was real, that it was honest. And then they went on the air and said, Dominion is doing all of this. So they're using what they said on the air as proof that they knew that what they said privately Ah. was a lie. Mm. And uh, as a result, they're suing them for massive amounts of money. But no politician has ever sought that kind of protection since John Adams, who was the second president of the U.S. And Adams had a very thin skin. He was a Federalist. And uh, when people criticized him, he took it personally, and he hated it. So he, in 1798, he passed something called the Alien and Sedition Act, which said that it is illegal to criticize the president. Now, if you criticize the president, you can be sued and you can be locked up. In fact, Matt Lyons, a congressman from Vermont, who was a newspaper publisher, was indeed locked up while he was a congressman for criticizing the president. And um, the, he what was this? 1799. Uh-huh. And uh, when Jefferson came in, he let the law expire and got rid of it, so it's not there anymore. And the Supreme Court later said that it had been challenged. They would have said it's unconstitutional. But Ron DeSantis is picking up where John Adams left off, and he wants to make it a a civil offense worthy of libel suits and judgment to criticize him untruthfully. And my point is, it's it's not not it's not absolute true, absolute untrue. Mm-hmm. This means you have to take a deep breath before you criticize him. When I write a book, I've written twenty of them. I have to give him to my publisher, who then gives it to his lawyer. And the lawyer goes through it with one goal, to see that everything in it is true and that none of it is written with malice or knowing disregard for the truth. And if he says any of it is, I have to take it out. Now, that's okay. That's all right. But They're under DeSantis's law, yeah, 
But under DeSantis' law, everybody would be afraid to say anything. No one can write a newspaper column. No one could criticize him. Uh, If you use that standard and you use a subjective definition of what's true and what's not, I've committed a libel a hundred times against DeSantis. And and you, you can say that, well, it's only words, but words can be very damaging. It's only words Well, I have a group of callers here who are brilliant with wonderful, incredible questions, so I want to get to those. Uh, let's start with Mickey in New Brunswick. Yes, hi, hello, happy Sunday, hi. your brilliancy. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> your brilliancy. I have a question. Yeah, yeah. I'm the, I'm your, I'm the guy that knows that Clinton tackled you on the end zone there, you know. Yep, but anyways, right. that was anyways, in his kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this digital currency you're talking about, yeah. I have a hundred thousand saved up, um, my life savings. Listen, I. I don't want to. I'm all American. I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm, I'm. I just need to know. I don't want digital currency. I like cash. I have, like I said, my life savings is a hundred grand. What are they going to do with my money? They're going to, at the moment, it's voluntary, but you know how that goes. Yeah. And they're going to say, "Hey, Mickey, uh, take all that cumbersome money out of your account. Here's a piece of plastic, a debit card." And we'll credit you with your hundred thousand in your account, and you can spend it on anything you what want. He says no. You can go. Well, he's allowed to now, but eventually not. In wow. China, they're not allowed to say no. And uh, then the government keeps track of everything you're spending, right. and if you spend it on things they don't like, they can turn off your card. Now, um, I'm not allowed to give investment advice over the air. But I do want to tell you that I have put my money into gold, which they can't screw with. Let's go to Judith in Brooklyn. Hello, Judith. Hey, Judith. Hi. Hi, your brilliancy. I like that. <laughs> That's good, your brilliancy. <laughs> yes, that was great. Listen, I have two questions kind of connected. Um, I had heard Andy McCarthy, and I wasn't listening closely, but he was basically saying any other person they would never go after for this ridiculous thing. But because it's Donald Trump, that's why. So You're here's my Stormy Daniels, yeah. Uh, well, this is, well, it's not Stormy Daniels, actually. It's something technical. I want to ask you, Dick, because yeah. you probably know this. You're a lawyer, too. What ex- two things. What exactly is the supposed crime to merit an indictment uh, like this? And also, if found guilty, how does that affect President Trump's rerun for office, legally or otherwise? And by the way, yeah. Andy McCarthy was saying something about a technical filing. It was filed in the wrong place. Would you know what he's talking about? Yeah, I know about technical filing, but uh, even if Trump is convicted of these counts, they are not sufficient to bar him from the presidency. The qualifications for president are spelled out in the Constitution, and they are you have to be over 35 years of age, you have to have been a citizen of your state living there for 14 years, and you have to have been born in the United States. Um, and they can't say, and there's nothing in there that says you're not guilty of a crime. So, um, like Eugene Victor Debs, who was the socialist candidate for president in 1912, ran for president, got 15% of the vote, and was in jail at the time. Hmm. So, there's nothing that would knock him out of the race. Now, the technical violation is not completely clear. We have to wait for the indictment if it happens. But it probably relates to the misuse of campaign funds. Uh, but I'm not sure how we came to that. We'll have to wait on that. And you're right. Nobody other than Donald Trump could ever be indicted for this. But my point is it's not going to knock him out of the race. I don't think it's even going to knock him back. Let's go to George in Rockland. Thank, Thank you, George. George. Hey, hey, George. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. So I have a question, uh, Mr. Morris. Uh, 
since, uh, as you said rightly, uh, it really skewed this whole indictment in uh, New York County here. Yep. Is it possible uh, to uh, move uh, to move it to Florida, let's say? Yeah. Well, you, legally it is. Well, actually, you could have to move it within New York State because it's a state indictment. Couldn't move it to Florida. But then you go to a Democratic judge in Manhattan. And you have to say, Your Honor, this jury pool is so biased and so Democrat, they'll never give Trump a fair trial. And you have to hope that this Democratic judge <laughs> sees that, rules in your favor, and says, yeah, I'm going to move the venue. And if he moves it to Brooklyn, you're still in hot water. West if he Chester moves it too. to Schenectady, you got a shot. Right. Uh, but uh, that, so, so that's that situation. Good question. Okay, so... Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but also a little bit about the deal that China has just brokered between Iran and Saudi Arabia, because this is a horrible signal for the United States. It's not a death knell, but it's really bad when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. I think I think the next intro is going to be here's Dick Morris, your brilliancy. Yeah, right. The um, there is really serious stuff happening in the Middle East now, and uh, it's a direct consequence of Biden screwing around and being so weak in dealing with our adversaries. China, which has been dying to get a hold of the Middle East, trying to get a foothold there so it can swing its weight around and use its influence, has gone to Saudi Arabia and Iran so and has brokered a deal between them. Officially, the deal is just to renew diplomatic relations that they broke off in the huff six or seven years ago. But the idea that they could broker a deal of those two countries is absolutely terrifying. Now, let me just set some parameters here. The... Uh, Total oil production in the world is 75 million barrels a day. The United States is first with 11 million. Russia, Russia is second with 10 million. Saudi Arabia is third with 9 million. And Iran is, I think, fifth or sixth with 4 million. So the 4 million and the 9 million have just basically reestablished relationships with each other. Now, for decades, the fight in the Middle East has been between China and, uh, and has been between Iran and, um, and Saudi Arabia. They're both the regional powers and both of them want to run the whole Middle East. They both produce a lot of oil. They both have pretty good armies equipped by the United States. And the possibility of a war between them has been huge. In fact, the Iranians subsidize the Houthis, who are rebels who live in Yemen, which is right on the border of Saudi Arabia, to try to topple the monarchy there that's pro-Saudi and replace it with a revolutionary, theological, uh, Muslim-based, Shiite-based government that would go after the Saudis. The Saudis are Sunnis, the Iranians are Shias, the, and they hate each other officially. Now, but the idea is that these two mortal enemies now have renewed diplomatic relations because China brokered it, Saudis and Iran. Got it. 
and they had a big ceremony where the ambassadors from each of those countries were all smiling, and the Chinese ambassador was in the middle, smiling like hell and bringing them all together. It was a regular Camp David, Jimmy Carter kind of scene. <laughs> and uh, it's very scary. Yeah. Now, behind this lies an even more scary prospect. The world uses the dollar as its fundamental means of currency. They decided that in 1944 in Bretton Woods in the conference right after World War II. And the U.S. was so dominant, it had half the world's gross domestic product and uh, the only country with any money, so it was okay to use the dollar. And since then, the dollar has been the currency. And that is very important for the United States. The reason we can run a budget deficit is that we don't have to translate our, do- our dollars into some other currency to borrow it. Mm. We can just print more of it. If we had to tie ourselves to the euro, let's say, we'd have to get Europe's permission, in effect, to run a deficit because we'd have to convert the dollars into euros and then use the euros to pay for the deficit. But once we have dollars, because we own the dollar, we can just say, hey, Mr. Fed, print up another $100 billion of dollars. Click, and then they go ahead and do that. Now, there's a serious effort by China to stop the United States from doing this, to strip it of this this power. And China has set up a an outfit called BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, which is a little bit like OPEC, which was oil exporting countries, B-R-I-C-S, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, B-R-I-C. And uh, they are working together, coordinating their currencies, to avoid having to use dollars. So when somebody in India wants to change their currency into rubles, the Russian currency... It's gold. No, they, 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 they do need gold, yes, but, uh, but they do not need dollars. They don't have to go through buying dollars, and uh, they can use gold. But, but the deal is that they don't use dollars. So any transaction between an Indian and a Brazilian or Russian or Chinese can be simply a currency for currency. You don't have to go through dollars. And now it looks like Saudi Arabia may join that brick. That's where the yes is coming in? Well, we hope not, but possibly. And um, if Saudi Arabia joins it, the amount of exports in the world that come from Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia is enormous. Without Saudi Arabia, it's not that big. Uh, Saudi Arabia, because uh, Saudi Arabia exports 9 million barrels a day of oil, third most in the world. So if you have a combination of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia that is not dependent on the dollar, that uses gold instead, boy, that is going to absolutely uh, screw up the dollar weaken American hegemony and conceivably lead the whole world to get off the dollar, in which case they get on gold. Huge increases in the demand for and price of gold, by the way. But that's incidental. The important point would be that it really reduces American power enormously. How do we influence them to not do it, or do we, or can well, we? First of all, we, we, we alienated the Saudi monarchy by accusing them of murder of a Wall Street Journal reporter who was murdered in Saudi Arabia, who was critical of the king. And that alienated the Saudis. And um, we've been playing catch-up with the Saudis ever since. Uh, Trump had a great relationship with the Saudis. Biden does not. And Biden is holding against them their human rights record and women not getting driver's licenses. They now do. And it being a theocracy, and he's really... His people are uptight about all of that, and that's driving the Saudis away from the United States into the waiting arms of China. Mm. And now it could get really serious. And the fact that China has promoted this this deal and encouraged these two countries to trust it is indicative of, I think, its persuasive powers. The silver-tongued devil's got nothing to lose.
So this reminds me of a funny story. Uh, when I was pushing welfare reform in the Clinton administration, I got the president to agree to it. And, but Hillary was holdout, so she asked for a meeting with me. And she said, do you know the harm this is going to cause of, of, uh, of cutting, uh, of balancing the budget and of, um, of cutting off welfare payments and making people work for welfare and making it work fair and taking people off because of a time limit? Do you know the human misery that's going to cause? So I sat back in the chair and my house was being painted at the time. So I used a metaphor. I said, Hillary, 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 look, we've worked together for 20 years, right? You know that every four years your house has to be painted. Hmm. So I put all your furniture in the middle of the room, the center, and I cover it up with tarp, and then I paint your walls. And when I finish, you put the furniture back as you like, and you make the walls whatever color you like. But every four years you have to leave it up to me. Interesting. And she leaned back and smiled, and she said, you silver-tongued devil. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you have what you call a Hillary room in your yeah, house. Yeah, I do. Oh, my God. We had Hillary staying at our house once because she was giving a speech at our house for a Democratic candidate. And the Secret Service said she wants her own room. She wants her own little refrigerator. Oh, my God. And she wants, for God's sake, Diet Dr. Pepper in it. Yeah. shows you how bad Hillary's taste is. Now, we burned that room, didn't we? No, no, we don't. We don't. But we don't use it for Hillary anymore. <laughs> in fact, we have a big Trump poster in it. <laughs> so today we talked about really serious stuff. Uh, start with the fact that the Silicon Valley Bank is failing. And if it fails, if they can't find a suitor, a buyer to take it over, they're going to have to either bail the bank out pay off its debts, or what Yellen says they're going to do, which is look to the ordinary depositors to take haircuts of 10% of their checking accounts and use that to bail out the bank. And these bank failures have a way of spreading across the country like wildfire. And this could happen to each of us listening with our own personal accounts. Thank you, your brilliancy. Uh, it's an honor. So when we talked about DeSantis cutting Social Security, wanting to protect himself against the big, against libel suits. And uh, we just talked about China moving in on Saudi Arabia and Iran. Thanks, Amazing. this was fun. Brilliant C and brilliant D. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.